Emily Perry, and thank you for joining me. So I'm a yoga teacher and acupuncturist and herbalist based in California, and my vision for this podcast is to share with you what I love about yoga and holistic healing. And so some weeks I'll be sharing stories or interviews or just a little tidbit of about a certain topic. Some weeks I'll be sharing practices with you for you to use at home. And I hope you really enjoy this podcast. And remember, you can always reach me at emilyperryyoga.com. I was inspired recently to create this podcast while I was preparing for the Essence of Yoga teacher training coming up in February 2015. And I realized that there's so much support out there for the posture practice of yoga or the asana part of yoga. But there wasn't as much information or content out there that gives the asana practice its context and support. And all the ways that we talk about yoga and teacher training that really support the, the practice, often you don't hear so much. So I wanted to offer that up for you. A little taste of what you might expect in a teacher training or an in-depth study or an immersion is what I hope that you will get in this podcast series. Again, you can always contact me um, on my page, emilyperryyoga.com, or on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash emilyperryyoga. If you have any questions or comments or there's anything that you'd like to hear about or talk about, feel free to let me know. So let's dive in. So today I want to talk about seeing our own true nature. It's a practice of recognition in many ways, this practice of yoga. Lately in class, we've been talking about happiness and, and ease, which is defined as sukha. And we've been talking about dukkha, which is also defined as dissatisfaction. And sukha and dukkha come into our practice in that we often tend to bring our opinions and ideas to postures from our practice in the past. And it kind of colors our current or the moment in the posture practice in our asana class, for example. So one example I like to give is um, revolved triangle pose. So this is a posture that um, Parvita Chikanasana. This is a posture that had for the longest time I just did not like for like five, six, seven years. It was just the posture every time it would come up, it would get cued in a class of like, oh, here we go, right? And then finally one day I realized my, I've been practicing for so long, my body had changed in such a way that if I just went into the posture without being just with curiosity and without thinking about liking it or disliking it, I just found myself being in the posture and just being the posture. And I actually really enjoyed the moment. It wasn't like I was living in the past and all my past experiences with that posture coming up and how my hamstrings were tight and how it was hard for me to twist on one side versus the other side. And none of that showed up. It was just me in the moment being a revolved triangle. So when we moved into a pose with the past in mind, we, you know, we color that experience and we miss the moment. And so the idea here would be to instead try to meet each moment with curiosity in your practice. So as each moment, as you flow from one posture into another, just being curious about what is showing up for you. So this becomes a practice of 
Well, there's a few things that show up in this kind of practice when you're really holding space for curiosity. One is that we have an opportunity to expand our edge of comfortability. And that edge of comfortability might be mental comfortability. It might be um, that practice of not clinging to a past idea. The comfortability that we might be looking to change might be more in line with um, if this does not feel comfortable, but I'm not, I'm not hurting myself and I'm expanding an edge of, say, um, strength. So it's, it's a little bit harder for you to hold that posture a little bit longer because it requires more strength. But perhaps um, if you can stay there in the fire of the practice, what we call tapas, which I'll talk about in a little bit, maybe we can learn to stay with that difficulty with a steadiness and an ease to our minds, right? The sterosukam that we often talk about in yoga. And maybe when we roll off the mat and into the rest of our lives, that edge of comfortability will have changed in other places as well. That makes sense. So the example I like to give is maybe you'll find yourself not having to have your coffee or your tea just as hot as you used to like it. Maybe now you can allow your tea to be a little different without disliking it or liking it. You're just with it. You're, you're, you're fine with what's, what shows up for you, right? And that happens in other places in our lives too, as our asana practice becomes a reflection of expanding our edge. Our edge changes naturally in the rest of our lives. So your edge might not be of strength. It might be, your edge might be of letting go. You might have to relax more. You might have to soften into the moment more or not have to, but that's what your work might be. Yeah. So we all have a different edge that we play in every, in our practices. And um, so working that edge expands your edge in other places in your life. Another thing that happens as well is that when we, we learn to stay in that curiosity, we allow ourselves to notice if we're clinging to the past or the, the future. So this is the escape hatch um, idea. Sometimes you're in a posture, say revolve triangle, and you're just waiting for the posture to end. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Till we get to the next thing, <clears throat> excuse me, and you don't get to ever really live your life and enjoy that moment because you're clinging to the future or you're clinging to an idea of the future. And this idea of clinging we call a parigraha. So there's this great quote I like by um, Daniel Odier from the Spanakarika, which is um, a yoga text. In the absolute sense, pleasure and suffering subject and object are nothing more than the space of profound consciousness. So our emotions, our pleasure and our suffering, our sukha and our dukkha, they are nothing more than the same stream of consciousness. We just happen to label it a certain way and cling to that labeling. One of the reasons why I think yoga is such an incredible practice is that we get to practice in the truest sense. So time and time again, we get to widen the gaps between our thoughts and notice this unity of uninterrupted flow of consciousness. The pleasure and the suffering 
are part of the same stream. They're part of the same wave of energy. They're just on different ends. So if you look at a wave, you know, you've got peaks and valleys and sukha and dukkha might be on opposite ends of that spectrum, but they're part of that same wave. They're connected. So another quote from Daniel Odier's um, discriminating between positive and negative movement only dims the power of the wave that carries us unceasingly to the, to the finite and the infinite and reconnects them in an ecstatic harmony. So the more we identify and cling to those peaks and valleys, the more we miss out on the in-between. The, the full spectrum of the way we don't get to enjoy. So again, instead of holding on to an experience or trying to control an experience, we can just be curious about it. It's back to that idea of a parigraha, not clinging. We have an opportunity here to you know, expand our range of experience through the stream of curiosity. And learning to stay is a great skill. So you might be familiar with the Pima Chodron little cartoon. I always like to um, talk about this one, or it was posted on her wall anyway, and I'll try to link it here in the show notes. But it's these two dogs, and they're sitting at, in meditation, and one of the dogs looks at the other one and says, it's all about learning to stay. And so that's what this practice really is. It's learning to stay in our uncomfortability so that we can expand our edge and our mind's edge expands as well. That moment of staying in the comfortability and coming back, uncomfortability and coming back to that, that kind of heat of practice, we call that in yoga, we call that tapas. It's, the, um, it's often a, translated as practice or austerity. But um, I like to look at it more in terms of like a, a heat or an internal reflection. It's not necessarily a physical heat. It's a metaphorical burning, as Richard Freeman says. So here's his quote. This is not necessarily a physical heat. It's a metaphorical burning, an awakening that is really happening within the mind or the perceptions. So tapas helps us clear through our scars before they ripen. They help us clear through the um, holding patterns that we have in our body. Feel free to reference episode one to learn a little bit more about samskaras, which I talk about there. As our practice builds tapas, we burn through the layers and accumulations in our mind, body, and spirit. So we get to find some more freedom in the practice. Tapas is a fire of our practice. It's a heat of transformation. While this might not mean literal heat, it implies intensity and effort. Okay. So tapas is like a, it's like a cooking, you know, like you kind of cook yourself in a cauldron in the yoga practice. And you don't necessarily have to be physically getting hot, but it's this idea that as we dive into our practice and we keep showing up fully without expectation that we get to be, we get to burn through these layers of holding patterns in the body and mind. 
I hope this episode was helpful for you, seeing our own true nature, being curious about the present moment. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to leave them on the show notes page, www.emilyperryyoga.com slash episode two. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Essence of Yoga podcast. Namaste.